Plenty of time for Stroud. Directing receivers, flips it to the end zone, caught, touchdown! Marvin Harrison Jr. making a huge impact. Milton taking a shot downfield, he's got a man open, and it's into the arms of Squirrel White. Nix, pump fake, takes off, out of the clear, Bo Nix, there he goes, he won't be caught, he's done it again! Burning the Red Shirt podcast, my first time ever hosting one of these things. Um, we get the feedback all the time that uh, the, the most positive thing anyone ever says about this is that it's, it sounds like you're just talking to your buddies or whatever. Well, that, that's what's really going to be like today, because all that that host shit that Chris or Zach does, none of that's being brought to the table. It's literally just going to be uh, me and uh, our guests today for the ACC preview pod, uh, Mr. Franchise KF. What's going on, dude? Hey, man. It's good to be here with you. I know that um, Chris can get a little bit timid, and I'm sorry that he was intimidated to um, be here with the King of Atlanta, but uh, we can't say we didn't see it coming. You know, this has been multiple years. We knew he was going to duck out on it. So here we are, no surprise, but disappointed nonetheless, but glad to be with you. Dude, absolutely, yeah. Um, So do you want to start with unit shaming or stale picks or – um selling picks or who should we who should we go after first we will go after anybody and everybody it's a stream of consciousness podcast so where wherever and whenever uh you want to start and uh start carving people up i'm ready <laughs> so chris made a, a comment before uh he pulled back the the curtain and let let us but well let me know and then i let you know that he, he was bailing made a comment about your twitter following um yeah. that i I feel like I owe a, a decent enough um, uh, amount of my bankroll to all the free stuff that you post on Twitter. Obviously, you take care of number one, get down your stuff. Those lines are stale as fuck. But like winners are winners. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, where how do you how, how do you, I, I feel like I've been following you for mad long and I, I want to give you a chance to talk about where you're um, where you're at presently. The the chicken man, if you will, from like a, a content creation perspective, but what's kind of brought you along your journey to where you're at in terms of uh, what you're trying to do on like social media and just the, uh, the content that you're putting out on uh, brandonchicken.com? Yeah, <clears throat> it's kind of been an interesting journey in terms of, um, you know, specifically some of like the um, betting related stuff. Um, you know, I was starting to get into that, like in, in college, like a lot of college students. And then at that point, you know, Twitter wasn't a thing. They were just like um, betting message boards. And um, so I actually, uh, oddly enough, um, there was one of my roommates in college, his grandpa had a login at one of these sites and like, didn't use it. And um the, the handle was Horn, H-O-R-N. I have no idea what it means, but I ended up assuming that. Um, and that was actually, if you know, um, if you're familiar with uh, Right Angle Sports, um, runs the like betting talk Slack. That was actually his site back in the day. So I got to know Ed and his team um, way back in the day and got to work with them a little bit and, and, and learn from them. Um, and then jumped over to another um, site called Capping the Game and um, was primarily active on there, um, really just learning and then posting and 
um, you know, doing different stuff. I, I would say for me, it was a really great place to learn because there was like a select, you know, there's all sorts of people that are posting with different motives and uh, kind of like Twitter, you know, there's, there's going to be a, a variance in terms of the type of content. But I would say in terms of like learning how to think and handicap and probably even the way that I look at college fantasy football a, a lot really was kind of birthed in some of those um, in some of those rooms. So uh, and then anyway, I jumped over to Twitter. I've had an account for a long time, but didn't post anything. I used to just, you know, um, post at like Atlanta, uh, Atlanta Falcons players, just dogging them and stuff. They're having a bad game. I did that for a number of years and didn't do anything else. And then um, I, I don't know what brought me over. But in, anyway, I, I, I kind of had a medium where I do like to write. Um, and so just decided when I stepped away from bed, uh, from uh, Debbie watch a couple of years ago from like an official content creation standpoint, I just wanted to create something that was just for me. I could do it a, a week if I wanted to do it. If I want to take a year off, five years off, just stop. Like it wouldn't affect anybody else. So that's kind of what me, what led me to start the Brandon chicken. And uh, I guess last year was the first year I, I did that. So that was, um that was fun. It's, it's fun at the beginning of the year and then I'm tired by the end of the year. Yeah, I, I feel that. And that that is kind of the medium that burning the red shirt selfishly selfishly serves for myself. It's not really for our dedicated 100 person user base or whatever. This is a mechanism for me to channel those want those wants and needs from a content creation perspective. And then also, um, especially now that I'm in the host chair, like. I get like my my goal here is to just pull out whatever I can out of out of your head to ultimately further my goals from a from a betting perspective, fancy perspective. So it's all it's all selfish at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I think there is something to it. And and I know that. Again, going back to where a lot of the, the world that we're swimming in being Twitter, you know, people have different motives and a lot of like different stuff like that. But like I, I have said this before and um, some people may not have believed me or taken me seriously or, you know, anything like that. And that's totally fine. I, I, I don't know that I would believe me either. But, um, you know, what I mentioned when I was back on some of those uh, message boards and stuff like that, like there were people that actually took the time to talk out their process and like helped me to understand, you know, there's some people, whether it's from a college fantasy standpoint or a betting standpoint, all they want's the picks. Like, don't, don't, I don't want additional context. I don't want ever, but that just never felt satisfying to me. I was like, no, no, I want to be able to originate myself. I want to be able to solve this problem for lack of a better term. And so the people that actually took the time to lay out some of their methodology, like that was critical for me being able to get to the point to where I am, you know, wherever I'm at in that evolution. But, um, you know, I really believe, um, you know, a, a bumper sticker that I believe is generous people prosper. And I think that there's something to be said for being generous with your time, resources, talents, and whatever medium that looks like. And that doesn't mean that there aren't some levels of selfish ambition within that. But if you're willing to take the time to, to, to share and to teach and to do those other things, I think that there's a boomerang with that that comes back to you. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> yeah i know that's been that's been your that's been your philosophy um <laughs> i'm so kind and gentle to people when we're doing slow drafts because i, I want it to come back to me i i personally i think basically in going into year four of like looking to 
build up my bankroll to kind of take things seriously and like have for for better and real in a lot of ways for worse. Like it is like when you start to like think about it seriously, it's almost like a second job. So like, um, and I think that there's like challenges and problems and like, am I grinding myself to dust kind of type deals with that as well. But I am like at this point in the, in the summer, right. With so much of the, my action, so much of everything I'm looking to do within a given year, really coming down to the net, the upcoming months now reflecting on kind of where I, where I've gone to in previous, the previous year and where I want to get to this upcoming year, always trying to think about what I can do better and stuff like that. Um, one of the main things for me, I feel like is just generally looking to structure better where I'm putting my money and like, I really just pony up a little bit more. Like I I'm, I'm such a fucking little bitch when it comes to, uh, money like even though when my bankroll is growing i'm not necessarily i feel like i'm not putting enough pushing enough in play just because like i see the raw numbers a lot of the time so that's something that like i'm personally like looking trying to get a little better and a little more comfortable with this year but you've been in the game for a while uh, as obvious for anyone who follows you but is there do you do you reflect year in year out and is there something that you're looking to improve uh specifically on going into 2023 I would answer that in a couple of different ways. You'll give me a little leeway here. I would say that I am firmly aware and okay that I should be pushing more money in. My edge is significant enough that I'm leaving a significant amount of money on the table every year. So what I have to balance that out with is the reason why I even got into this in the beginning is because I love college football. And I have found that in the past, when there are there is an increase in the volume and the number and the and the money on the table, when that goes up, it can take a football game that I genuinely love to watch and turn it into a nightmare of a three and a half hours just because of my frustration level. And again, I would never be pushing enough money where it's going to change my quality of life. That's not even what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about like, even if I sustain a loss, I'm at the point I've been doing this long enough where don't get me wrong. It pisses me off. And, you know, I wouldn't enjoy the game if I'm on the, the, the losing side versus the winning side. You know, there is, I'm not saying that like, I'm some, you know, fairy from that standpoint that, Oh, I can just totally remove myself from that. But I would say that like, I, I don't want, I, I don't want my, my passion to suffer as a result of my financial interest in a game. And so I have, very modest goals. Like for me, that money that I make doing this is my most fun to spend. Like I, I was talking to my, my brother about this, like um, someone randomly like giving me a gift of a small amount of money, even if I'm getting a paycheck from work that's 10 or 20 times greater, that like random act of kindness, if you will, just like feels differently to me internally when I get that. And I look at the money a little bit differently. Like I, I kind of like, I don't have many, I, I live a lean lifestyle. Like I don't, I don't have expensive uh, hobbies or habits or anything like that. So like a lot of the money that I make doing, you know, whatever else apart from my primary job, I kind of like try to just like create memories or experiences with that or just buy dumb stuff. Like buy a, you know, I just bought a, a writing pen that is, made out of an eyelash viper literally has the skin of a yellow snake that's like wrapped inside it. And I, I, I smile every time I bring it out to write with, and I'm kind of like, okay, this is, 
this is um you know this is this is thanks to you UNC over you know and um, <laughs> so I I don't know I, I the way that I look at it is uniquely and I would also say that I have been doing this long enough and had have had enough success consistently doing it that I don't get too introspective a lot of people are like oh, okay well how organized are you and I'm like not really I mean I just I don't know. It's just something that I've done long enough that I know what I need to put in, when I need to start putting it in and what I can expect to get out of it. And of course that can change, but the reality is it really hasn't. So yeah, it could change, but it, it hasn't to this point. And so I kind of now know, Hey, this is the least amount of effort that I can put in for the highest return. And that's what I'm looking for. I want to buy my time back and then have, you know, fun money to, you know, do some vacations and stuff like that. Sound a lot healthier than uh, than where I'm at now. So maybe it's something well, I can inspire. In, 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 fa- in fairness to you, you're 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 in that early stages of development. You know, I mean, we're talking yeah. for me. This is now, I mean, you know, coming up on 20 years. You know, off and on. Um, you know, I have had some years where I just just decided not to do it for multiple years at a time, and that's and that's been okay. And then. If, yeah. Just decided to pick back up, and and I'm content with that. Like I, I'm I'm prepared to set anything in my life down. Uh, anything in my life, I'm prepared to set it down on the drop of a hat for the most part. You know, that's just kind of how how I live my life, and I am kind of blown with the wind in terms of interests. Where you know, I know you and I are both readers. Where I'll just like, oh, okay, like I'm reading everything I can about Genghis Khan and the Mongol Empire, and I'm doing that for months, and that feels content you know, contenting to me. And so if I want to do that, I can't. I will never get you nonfiction people, dude. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. I do. I do both in, in, in fairness. And I actually have read some good, now we're way off the rails. I have read some good <laughs> uh, Mongolian empire historical fiction. I've recommended it to you. I'll bring it up again uh, offline because if anyone's still listening, surely by now they're gone. Yeah. No, no, I'll fuck with historical fiction. That shit's great. Yeah. All right, fine. Do you want to talk about uh, the the Atlantic Coast Conference a little bit? We have to. Fine. Right. Any thoughts on the conference overall, just from a, a landscape perspective, uh, coming into this year? Um, I don't believe they were touched by uh, what's that that word? Um, everyone's favorite word, the media's favorite word, realignment. I don't think that that they have a lot going on in realignment right now. You've got Clemson and Florida State pretending they can leave, but we like everyone knows they're stuck till 2036. So unless some of like there's some backroom deals or something like this conference is kind of going to presumably kind of be where it has been for the for the um, last few years. Right. So not to say that there hasn't been a little bit of like changing of the guard type stuff and some shuffling throughout the ranks. but. ACC is ACC. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I was I was just looking at them um, kind of as a whole as I'm kind of starting more of my prep in earnest for, for college football. And I typically start with ACC or SEC, but for the sake of this podcast, I started with the ACC. And, um, you know, I, I think that they're still really top heavy. Um, you know, in some ways, the SEC is top heavy as well. If you're looking at like, the prize fighters, you know, like who's in legit contention for the college football playoff. I think so too much probably gets made of the college football playoff. I mean, it really, that discussion really only pertains to 
a handful of teams each season anyway. And I think that a lot of the national narrative centers around that. And I understand it. I mean, you know, it's for a championship, but I think the reality is most college football fans, if you're a fan of pretty much 120 teams in college football every year, that's not on your radar. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it's top heavy again. Um, I, I think it's going to be a scrappy little conference. You know, I, I don't think that when you get into the, you know, the non, I mean, and again, this would probably be worth the discussion if you're if you're talking about Clemson and Florida State this year and you're putting them in a bucket at, at least in terms of national perception you know really the majority of other teams in there that that when they're playing one another I'm not going to be hugely shocked if one of them beats the other you know there there really is quite a bit of I mean I guess parody would be the the industry appropriate word in the league and and I do think that 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 makes it a fun league because anybody can beat anybody anytime. And, you know, you're going to, you're, you, you have NFL talented players on the roster, but you're also going to have a, a good mix, uh, a good dash of nonsense, which is fun. Yeah. I think I agree overall the way you qualified it as the kind of meat, I think I don't want to twist your words too much at this point, we'll leave that for later, but uh, the media narrative basically bucketing, Clemson and Florida State together, and then kind of a drop off from there. Do you agree with that idea that Florida State is kind of a tier above the others? Um, I, well, I'll leave it there before I just jump down your throat if you don't agree with me. Yes and no. Um, I think they are deserving of accolades coming into the season. Um, the challenge is for college football fans collectively and probably the college football media is if you get a team that has legit legs, it's, they're a fun story. You're going to get clicks if you're promoting them. So I think that there could be an element of that. Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, in some ways it's like, okay, this is Florida state. They should be in that conversation. They should be historically, they should be there ahead of Clemson. Like what's Clemson doing in this conversation? How did we arrive here? Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Clemsoning, you know, was a verb. <laughs> and, uh, and and they, um, you know, in recent years, obviously, they've they've shown that they're, you know, a premier a premier program. Um, a cult. Yes, that 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 potentially as well. Um, but with <laughs> Florida State, you know, I think that they I, I just think about like, go back. What is it? Two years, maybe three years and think about their offensive line. Like, just think mm-hmm. about that line they trotted out there where you're like, man, this is this would be bad for max standards, like the five that they were rolling. I mean, it was a just a deplorable group. And um, the fact that they could get turned around in the amount of time that they have is kind of a little bit that kind of causes me to pause a little bit like, OK, is this legitimate? Um, and I, I would I would say that I I think that. A lot of what got them, part of what got them the hype beyond their returning talent, which I do think is there and exists. And that to me is their most solid foundation. If we're going to prop them into that conversation is their returning talent because they have a lot of it. Um, The thing that I think we probably need to pump the brakes on, if you look at kind of the back half of that schedule and who they beat, it's um, okay. Like you, 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 you beat some okay teams, you know? And, and so 
in the ACC, if you can run off a string of beating okay teams, that's generally enough to put you near the upper crust. Um, maybe not in Clemson's tier uh, in recent years, but I mean, that's, that's, that's no easy thing to do in the ACC just because teams do tend to fall on their faces when they have an opportunity to climb back up. But that's sort of college football. I don't think that's exclusive to the ACC doesn't, um, you know, own that. Um, so I, w- I would say yes and no. I do think they are going to be um, a really good team. I, I, I don't. I don't know that I'm ready to say they're going to beat Clemson or going to be better than Clemson, but Clemson has plenty of questions left as, as well. Um, I will say if we're just shifting gears to a college fantasy standpoint, I do have a little bit of heartburn in terms of where some of their players are being drafted um, in terms of maybe Trey Benson in particular, if I'm going to single one of them out um, just because if he's a guy going in the top three rounds, like for me, the top three rounds, like, volume is the only thing that I'm looking at, like surefire volume. And as good as Benson was, he was doing a lot of it on like 10, 12, 15 carries, like a running back getting 15 carries. It's not going to be heavily involved in the pass game in the top three rounds of a college fantasy draft. That's just not, that's not typically the way that I go um, philosophically. So um, yeah, I wanted to be on him this year. I, like because he closed so strong down the stretch, but I haven't been able to get there at that price yet. Do do you get do you get what I'm saying though about I guess mm-hmm. both like I mean I I didn't want to punt the answer by saying yes and no and then did, does that does that sort of make so, sense? What yeah, yeah. About? I mean I threw it out there without any measuring anything to measure against, so it's tough to for you to to give like an objective answer in that sense. My my stance on them really just comes from the perspective of their their win total sitting at ten, and them being dogs again. Even though they're short, short dogs against LSU and Clemson, and then I see lots of other uh, not not gimme games on their schedule. I I don't have it in front of me right now, but my recollection is like they get Duke, they get Wake. Um, unfortunately, Florida is just the most. I don't know what's the right word. I, um, there's nothing really, it's a rivalry game. Maybe something could happen there. Uh, yeah. but like, I feel really good about take under 10 for them as like, just from the perspective, especially when you're not dealing with hooks, right. It's like, all right, are they going to win 11? Yeah. Like I feel, I feel, I feel really safe there. And it's one of the few, uh, win totals that I played thus far, but then in, in conjunction with that, just the snowball of media attention that it seems like they've gotten throughout this off season that I, I feel like it's just they're being talked about in the same conversations as like other as playoff uh, caliber teams. And like, it makes me want to just really find stances to take against them. No, no, I think that makes sense. I think that's solid process in terms of like, if you're looking to short a team in you know, a, a betting market that there is, you know, the perception plays heavily into that. Um, in some ways, um, and, and I fell victim to it last year uh, a little bit. Like in some ways, they remind me of NC State, where they where they turn around a really good roster. Um, I think that NC State is never going to get the clicks that FSU is, so that's probably why some things are getting pumped more. They're just a much larger brand and always will be. And so I think that's probably why it feels like it's forced down our throat a little bit more to this point versus how NC State was. But I think that. You know, NC State fell short of expectations last year, mine and, you know, from um, from a national perspective. And, you know, that wouldn't 
that wouldn't shock me um, if that if that happened. Um, but I do I do think they are. If we're just looking apples to apples, I think Florida State to start this year is probably better than NC State was to start last year. Probably not by a sizable margin in my estimation, but. I also think that NC State, before they made that coordinator um, swap, I just think they are going to—they were consistently going to be hamstrung from getting getting out out of that box that they were in with just the kind of vanilla patsy little offense that they ran. Even with a guy like Leary, who I think will probably be an NFL quarterback. Totally. Let me throw a quick hitter at you. Change uh, directions a bit. What so? I don't know if it's like a, a, a rec- are you still there? Yeah. Sorry. You just, you just cut out. You said yeah. you were going to throw a quick hitter at me and then yeah, yeah, so it's clearly not, not so quick. Um, usually I feel like I lose audio once or twice. I, my connection drops once or twice uh, every yeah. one of these, but I'm not the host usually. So it doesn't matter so much. So this is a yeah. fun uh, new variable we've introduced. Um, but yeah, quick hitter. So I, I don't understand the love for the, this guy. I don't know it, maybe it's if it's like recruiting program projection with new offensive coordinator, but like I, Antonio Williams, it doesn't make sense to me at all. Are you in? I I almost never draft Clemson players. Um, that's just been my historical pattern in in college fantasy football. Uh, I just think that there's consistently a premium um, that's that's placed on them. And uh, hi. I think that there's consistently a premium that's 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 uh, you 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 pay for their brand, and um, and and I'm I'm the same way. I think that he um, he may be uh, trumped up a, a little bit just because of like I said with the brand, but then also a lot of people are looking at him as a potential NFL stud, and I think that the the blending of college fantasy and Debbie and campus to Canton and where all of those worlds um, collide, that there's going to be players like him can go, um, can go higher than I would be considering taking them. So I don't think I've taken a Clemson player um, to my knowledge at at all this year. And that includes Shipley or, uh, I mean, I may be more inclined to take Klubnik and, you know, our best balls in the eighth, ninth, 10th, somewhere around there. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with you in terms of Williams. I think he's a good player. Um, but I don't know that I just see this guy that is going to, you know, grossly outperform, um, his, his draft position. Yeah. It's not for me. Um, and I, I I'm with you on club Nick. I, I've taken him in one of our drafts so far, just cause he was kind of like chilling there as we got closer to the 10th round. And I was like, this could be fun. I'm not paying too much of a premium. Let's do it. There, there are just so many good quarterbacks in the eight, nine, 10 range. Mm-hmm. And, and I know I've noticed one thing that you have been pretty good about. I mean, maybe one draft you went quarterback or two early. I think that was clearly probably a strategy uh, without having asked you. I'm making an assumption that you just. Chose. Yeah, it was the, the strategy was taking Molly Cornsby right before he gets uh, <laughs> recruit, recruited over for TJ Finley. Yeah. Take him, take, set the new record high and take him in the third round. Well, I for, first of all, I, I personally don't see TJ Finley as much of a threat. Um, I think it's a smart move for that staff to bring in. 
to bring him in to have the opportunity to do it. I think it was smart for Finley to go and, you know, uh, from my understanding, that's a cool place to go to school. Um, so he's probably going to have a good time there. And, um, but I, I, to me, I, I've seen TJ Finley enough to know. I mean, he's, the, the he's way, TJ Finley. Well, here's here, here's what I look at this 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 to me when I look at quarterback races, the the consistent question that I ask myself: What is said player's trump card? Like, what 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 is their trump card? What what do what can they do that stands out? And a player like Hornsby, we can both say emphatically, the guy can run, like really run. And so I'm I'm thinking like okay if you have two guys who aren't great passers okay I'll stipulate that Finley is more evolved in that area but is he so far evolved that you're going to start the guy that legitimately has the thing that you can't simulate with scout team which is Hornsby's wheels and so if I'm wrong on that and again I haven't necessarily been like targeting him a ton in drafts because I've been more content to wait to that six, seven, eight, nine, ten round range and, and get my other guys early, especially because I normally take two quarterbacks in the top five rounds in our um you know premium draft. Um but I I, I don't know. I mean I, I see why Finley is causing some heartburn, but I feel like I just took Hornsby maybe in the tenth or eleventh. Yeah. And while and, we were while we were potting with Moxley, we, yeah. we all we all kind of noticed he was chilling there and I was I was hoping to snag him on the way back and you got him. Yeah. And I mean, so for me, for there, cause I, cause I made a conscious choice to slide him back in my queue, but a lot of times with my queue, I just kind of let it go. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, Hey, c- come what may. And then I, I guess the way that I, I, I do things because I know a lot of people want to hear about how I set my queue, but I, uh, you know, for five or six rounds, I may just, I'll just do best player available or whatever. Like I'll just leave that alone. And then once I kind of start having a shape, uh, six through 10, once I feel like I got my quarterbacks, whatever, then I'll just kind of set by position. So I have players ranked by position. I'll be like, okay, maybe I, maybe I click in and say, okay, I feel like I want to take him here. Maybe I'm just like, okay, I need another wide receiver, another running back. And then I'll just have them ranked out and then just let the system do its thing. Um, anyway, I feel like we just went way off the rails. Where did we even no, start? For some people it's science, but we know for you it's art. <laughs> we we started with a quarterback question there yeah. somehow and we ended up on San Marco Island. Uh, <laughs> so, so when we when we put when we kind of figure out what we want to talk about, I spin up a, a tab in a Google sheet that's like, okay, all the teams, a column for what I want to talk about, column for Chris. Chris doesn't fill his out. Um <laughs> and then we kind of just roll from there. Like the first one we did. We, we had even less direction than usual. It's like, all right, this is like, we need to have some direction for these conference previews or like nothing's ever going to get anywhere. Yeah. But for th- I have three teams uh, where I just kind of merged the cells and I was, and all I wrote was who cares. And then in parentheses besides Chris. So you should know one of the teams based on the disclaimer there, but who do you think the other two are that make up that, that triumvirate? Okay, well, there two of them come from the state of Virginia. So you've got Virginia and Virginia Tech, and Correct. then I'll go. I mean, Boston College. You got it. Nicely yeah. done. Yeah, and one of Chris's few comments he added, he he wanted to talk about O'Keefe, and if he makes sense as like a as a comp, I was like, oh, O'Keefe's like fun. I've drafted him. Yeah. Maybe they maybe they didn't need to be bucketed in with these these disasters in uh, the state of Virginia. But 
here's 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 my comment on on O'Keefe is you know they got a new uh, a new offensive coordinator this year and I didn't know his name or anything so I started researching him and he's like a pure NFL guy like tons of NFL experience probably is like a devout Catholic always dreamt about you know coaching at Boston College you know uh, that so 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 I get that and and I know that players will want to see oh okay this guy has NFL experience but I mean it's a nightmare for me I mean I I I. I feel like I am frightened every time I see a college team hiring a guy with only NFL chops because it's just usually so vanilla. It's so predictable. There's no imagination. And so my concern would be there um, would be I, I have no idea if this coordinator has a, a, a track record of, you know, just throwing to, to one guy. Um, and then my, my second thing there would be, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know that the game scripts are going to be all that favorable to do it, but it kind of seems like they want to run the ball, kind of get back to more of that, like BC mentality a little bit more, um, which is interesting. Let's just cut to the chase. Their coach is getting canned after this year, right? I would think so. And what's this year three at least. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, I actually was moderately excited uh, about about him. I mean, I thought that he he could do okay, but um, and then I guess I, I'm I'm sure we'll get there to the Nard Dog, but I mean, the fact that he hires their former offensive coordinator Frankie Sins, and he brings him in, and and I was reading his um, I, I read Pitt literature most evenings and. I was reading his bio and kind of the introductory, like, hey, here's the here's the team site. We want to sell you. And they're like, oh, he comes from Boston College. And I'm like, they averaged 17 a game last year. <laughs> and like, I'm like, that's like, like they 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 framed it and, and forgive me, I'm 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 paraphrasing it, but they kind of said like this juggernaut explosive, this great offense at Boston College. I'm like, 17 a game, 24 the year before. Like uh, that's a that's a drop, even from Boston College standards. That's that's below what we could expect from them just in a normal year. And so the fact that the Nardog had to bring in a guy who, you know, is better equipped to be sitting around having a coffee with Polly Walnuts and not coordinating college football. It's that's, that's typical Nardog stuff there. Yeah. Does he have a lifetime contract yet or only in our hearts? Yeah. I, I, there's, you can't, I mean, I mean, he would he would actually take the life of the the athletic director if they attempted to to move him. I mean, we would we would get, you know, we we would get very medieval there. It would be like, all right, you know, you want my throne, you take it in blood. And I think that's how the contract reads that, you know, he would actually have to be deceased. So, yes, lifetime. But I think it would actually play out um, battle style with, you know, set forth weapons and, and warriors and such. So. Um, you know, that could be something to look forward to um, next offseason, potentially, if uh, we don't have a team like Florida State to, to pump up, we could we could just maybe get a webcam at um, Pitt Stadium up there at Heinz and uh, see some guys duke it out at the 50. Him and uh, Gundy should compare notes. I feel like <laughs> they can vibe together. Maybe do it with do a home and home. Uh, let's talk about. Um, well, I don't I don't know. I, 
if they're still if we can still qualify them as like a fun team. But uh, UNC, I feel like they, in typical kind of Longo form, start out high flying, lots of fun, face some tougher teams uh, as the calendar goes on and things kind of kind of fade. Uh, Longo took his uh, New Jersey roots to Wisconsin, right? We'll see how that kind of, that plays out. Um, talking to Brandon Sanders, he makes it sound uh, sound like with, uh, even though there's no real love nationally for the new OC, he's, maybe it's more hopeful than anything else as a big UNC fan, but he's of the mind that like Drake Mays the OC there. And the, uh, that's one of the selling points for him to stay. I'm very interested personally. Let's just presuppose that things operate, things don't go off the rails there, and they're able to kind of take advantage of May's skill set and have a functional passing offense. The receiver hierarchy is so interesting there. Like, generally speaking, um, just heading into the season, definitely from a fantasy perspective. Do you have strong feelings about the receiver room and kind of how you would set the hierarchy? I would say at cost, um, I'm, I'm much more interested in Nate McCollum in particular. Um, he he was a guy that um, I is this I an Atlanta I, thing? What's that? Is this an Atlanta thing? Well, it actually my last year of covering the Debbie Watch, we all kind of randomly get assigned incoming freshmen to watch, and I just happened to be have him assigned to me, and I just was I was impressed by him. Um, I, I was and am by no means, you know. Uh, on three 24 seven sports high school talent evaluator, but I've watched enough of them to know like this dude's good. Looks like a power five guy. That guy looks like a stud, you know, like I don't need to talk about the fluidity of his hips and, 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 and so on and so forth. Like that I'm sure people can see that. And it does have a value. I'm not trying to diminish the scouting profession. I mean, just for me, I'm like, all right, this guy's a dude. All right, that's it. And um, I think it can be that simple. Um, doing what we're doing. But anyway, I really liked um, McCollum there. So I kind of got a jump start on him. And then he just, you know, kind of died at, at, at Georgia Tech. But I, I think he's a guy with a lot of talent. You know, he's a, he played baseball uh, for them as well for Georgia Tech, which is a pretty good baseball program. So I, I like guys that have, um, you know, two sport chops. I think he's built in the mold of Josh Downs. I think he's uh, maybe an inch taller and 10 pounds heavier, probably built a little bit bigger than Josh Downs. But even with the new offensive coordinator coming in, I I, I don't know. I, I think that where I'm taking him, and, and again, forgive me, I don't know exactly where it is. You may have it in front of you, but it feels like it's like we're getting close to around 20 um, before I've, I've taken him a few times. And, and I could be off there, but I mean, it's not at least until – mid-teens I would I, I would think so I think that if I want Walker in the third or the fourth who I don't dislike there um it's just more I prefer McCollum at at cost um so I I've been trying I I've been taking McCollum um quite a quite a bit um but I I'll, I also don't like Chip Lindsay um at all um I've watched enough of his offenses that I uh, you know I wrote in my notes for them if if something goes bad, it's Chip Lindsay's fault. Like they're the, the the rest of the pieces are in place. They should have another really good offense. If he can stay out of their way, you know, I think we'll see a, a really good UNC offense. I think their line looks a little bit better, but they've been one of those teams to me over the years. I mean, you just remember in the 
late in the Sam Howell era, or maybe it was his penultimate year. Like he just was the reason why he was running so much because he was running away. And then he just yeah. happened to get past the line of scrimmage. Like they've, they've been one of those teams. And I think Clemson has been this way a little bit where like their line play has been noticeably different year to year. And that has had a significant impact. Kind of like the year where ETN had to catch like 60 balls. He, you know, the, the two months before the season, he said he, TTs his pants a little bit when they throw the ball to him and then he catches like 60 balls and you're kind of like you know the reason why he's catching all those balls is because they just couldn't do a traditional run game with him one of us is going to be very wrong I think about okay. the UNC room because I'm a Kobe Pacer fan and him and McCollum are probably competing well maybe I, I don't know anything about Chip Lindsay's system but yeah. presumably there's like one primary slot receiver and i would think that they're bat they were like neither of those guys is an outside receiver mm-hmm. my thought process is largely just when pacer got on the field in a starting role last year you could see the the mind meld with drake may and that's i feel like that probably has precedence um when it comes to just how things are going to shake out but who knows right um so uh but he's extremely free i think the earliest i've taken him is the 20th and i could see it just playing out really nicely from a volume perspective it seems like a good yak guy so but i mean i think we're kind of on the same page in terms of like drake main slot receiver seems like a good good move from a fantasy perspective and it's cost effective as well so yeah i think i think those are great bets to make And, and i guess one of the things that i wanted to say while we were talking about this i wanted to get your thoughts is I don't even really consider college fantasy football best balls, particularly in the format where we're doing, where we're doing like an aggregate cumulative um, 10 drafts. I don't even really look at it very much like fantasy football. I kind of look at it a lot more like betting or investing. Um, Essentially just it's to me, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it like I'm making season long bets I'm creating a portfolio of individual players that I think are going to be good bets this season. And so I, I kind of look at it a bit from that standpoint. And it's interesting to see when I look at it through that lens, how some of us very much, you can say like, okay, this is so-and-so's guy, you know, you can see, but I think that there's some people will go the diversification route. And I think that there's, a value to that as well. I think that if you want to win, you probably have to consistently bet on the same guys and and uh, and hope that they hit. Usually, the winner that that that's the. But I mean, you can finish in the money and and have a diverse portfolio. But that's kind of how I I I I don't know. I I kind of look at it like betting more than I would college traditional college fantasy football because you're not doing waivers and and you and I know how significant waivers play. I mean, we're churning teams if we're talking about a redraft league because we know so little, you know, going into the league relative, the league season relative to what happens. So I don't know. That's kind of my my thought on it. So when I say a bet, that's actually truly what I mean. Yeah, I'm the same exact way. Last year, most most of my I, – I did horrible in our uh, champion series last year because most of my bets turned out weren't so, weren't so hot. Yeah. But I, that's still my approach. I like I want to get my my money down on the players that I believe in. I'm not putting all this time just to randomly sprinkle the board and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I want – like also, 
just from the perspective of like when I'm watching games, generally speaking, if I'm not like targeting a game because I've I threw some money on it specifically that week, it's watching games and teams that I like that I presumably have uh, drafted throughout the offseason. So I want I don't I want to have my rooting interests just as unconflicted as possible. And I um, just from the getting back to what you said earlier, from an enjoyment perspective, like I don't know, it's I don't really find it enjoyable if I'm like if i'm if i'm like six percent on every single fucking player yeah Um, yeah and i mean i think i think at the end of the day like we're not i don't think any of us are trying to like make an earnest living from college fantasy football like at best this is supplemental money and i think that's Mm -hmm. the most that's that's the way most people do betting it's you know entertainment value for some where they're just like no i just want the picks and that'll be fine and that's good and then there's other of us that like no i want to probably who are more you know just learners if we're using a, a strengths finders term i don't know if you've ever taken that test but um <laughs> you know some people like that's actually like um it can be a core it's in my core like top five of the essence of who i am as a learner this is what oh. this, test, this is what this test told me so i have found that play out kind of like i said like with reading or with Betting, like I, I, I want to learn. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm investing time in it. I want to understand it. I want to be able to actually have my own thoughts. If they're wrong, they're wrong. But I at least am willing to and desire to have my own opinion. And I'm, I'm not. I, I'm, totally, I'm, okay, totally. I'm okay being wrong. You know. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> um, your king, Mister Robert, and I. Yeah. Any, hesita- any hesitation this year in terms of how? The roster shaping up and how you how you think things go this year uh year one at nc state no i i i'm i'm quite excited um about things i think that his track record um really above any other coordinator for if, if we're grading on a scale you know relative to where he's been you know he doesn't have five star da 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 he doesn't have quarterbacks at the elite 11 like all of that stuff if we're talking about grading on a scale there's there's nobody that has done um, more with less than, than him. And so I, I think I'm, I'm a long time Brennan Armstrong guy. Um, he's been, yeah. And going back to, to Twerkins, I mean, but I, I'm, I, I had Twerkins on all my team, but I was already rostering. I don't normally, it has to be a very valuable position for me in dynasty fantasy football for me to roster a guy that's even a year out. I just, would rather turn it like a redraft for the most mm-hmm. part. Like you need to be an app state running back. You need to be a, you know, you need to yeah. fit the mold of I'm going to get a fat Boise, you know, like, uh, you know, all, all of those things. But, um, you know, I, I think that Arm, Armstrong is a guy that I think has shown he can really operate this system of effectively. Um, I know they don't have a lot of big name receivers, but I mean, go back to what we knew about that Virginia room um, before, the season there, there wasn't a whole lot to get excited about there. You know, their most dangerous weapon came in as a quarterback that probably should have been a linebacker uh, and, and Thompson, you know? Um, and so I think he's, he's creative with how he uses um, guys a lot in particular guys that have the ability to play multiple positions. If we're looking at Gadsden and Thompson um, and, and a guy who I have, um, you know, I think in our champions, I'm, I think I'm seven for seven on taking Trent Penix, their tight end. Um, you know, he spent a short amount of time at running back there as well. Um, so I'm I'm heavier on Penix than I am any other player because um, I've 
even in the drafts that I haven't been in with you and others, I mean, I'm probably 95% on him and will continue to try to draft him um, just because I think he fits the mold of, Hey, this is a guy that just blows up under this type of system. Totally. But do you think that Anai just has no ambition to be in uh, a head coach? You think he's just cool taking these guys who have no, have no real, uh, that have like, they shouldn't be division one quarterbacks and turning them into 5,000 yard passers. Do you think that's just his lifelong dream? I think so. Like I, um, I probably know more about him than is healthy. Um, but you know, he, he just is a guy that like, he cites his, um, I was a little surprised by this, but he cites the guys that molded him most as Lavelle Edwards from BYU, who he played for. Um, I think he, I believe he played for him. He was a national champion there in 1984. He was an offensive lineman, uh, and I was. Uh, Norm Chow, Mike Leach, Dana Holgerson. I think those are the main guys that he cites, but he also will readily follow that up when he's talking about Leach and Holgo in terms of we're different than them. And I think that that's clear. And I think that the way that he is different is he's much more creative. You know, I think something that, um, any of those air raid coaches that do well, if they find something that's working, they'll just wear it out, you know? And, and I think that there is a value to that. I think that he has more options um, than some of the typical Leach and Holgo um, guys have had, because I do think he, he also understands the value of, I have to run my quarterback. That can't be a, a maybe that has to be, this guy's got to be athletic yeah, and, yeah. and be able to go. So I don't think he has any ambition. I mean, he's a YN. Um, he just seems like, like in interviews that I've heard from him, like he just seems like he, he just like loves the, he, he kind of like what we're talking about. He loves the inside baseball, the strategy of football and like the deployment thereof. Like, I think he would fit in within our, our, our types of, of conversations that you and I have had over the years. And I think he would be one of those guys. I don't know that he would have our same interests, but I think our level of, Interest in an interest would interest him. <laughs> so maybe he gets in champions next year. I, I'd, I'd love to see him, but I, I think he's, I think he's no nonsense. I think he's, he's dialing up pop passes and all sorts of ways to, um, to get this offense humming. And I do think the other thing that I think helps NC state this year is, you know, their defense, they, they had some injuries last year, but they had a bona fide, like they had studs at every level of their defense and they, somewhat underperformed. Um, I do think they are going to take even more of a step back on defense this year, which I think helps the offense if they're going to get into some some slugfests. Yeah. Give me one second. Yep. All right. Let's move on. So I'm curious your thoughts on Wake and when it comes to Griffiths, Mitch Griffiths. Do you expect more of a seasoned representative of Sam Hartman in his first year as starter, or do you think that it's more in line with Hartman after he, in year two and I guess three, I forget how many years, yeah, years two and three from a production perspective, because it was very different, right? His first year was like whatever, like, it took a special sort of league for you to want to willingly trot him out into your uh, into your lineup, and then everything kind of clicked, right? Yeah. 
I, I think that I've I've heard people around the program, including Clawson, say that he reminds him of John Wolford, um, just in terms of of play style. So I think that I honestly um he was one player that once I started um really I didn't start my college football prep, even including like all of our drafts we've done. Like I legitimately have not prepared for hardly any of them until probably two weeks ago. I June 1st, I feel like I'll start trying to figure stuff out. Again, I've been playing fantasy football long enough. I generally know what schemes I want, you know? Um, but uh, I would say that Griffiths is a guy, the more that I dug, I actually feel like bummed that I haven't taken, I've, I haven't taken him in any drafts, but I actually feel... I, I'm starting to feel a little optimism um, surrounding him. I went back and just kind of looked at some of his highlights, really just to see how he could throw and kind of just seeing how well he moves around. And I'm like, I mean, this guy has some stuff. And, I mean, they've got some really good receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really still probably not going to want to or will run the football. I mean, they had Kenny Walker and decided to give him 10 a game, you know. And so it's like they really don't want to run the football. And so if that means him – trotting in a few and then they have these a really really good wide receiver room i'm he, he's he's growing on me and and even really me getting like i said getting more prepared just for for football in general in particular the acc i'm he, he grew on me it was surprising to me how quickly he was named qb1 after hartman was ruled out for the start of last year mm-hmm. and that i feel like is something of a tell just in terms of the confidence in him to not just kind of manage the offense, but run with the offense. You tell me, you tell me Clawson also strikes me as what I would bucket like an old school guy where it's like, you're more senior, you're more veteran. You've been here, you've bought in kind of like um, Matt Campbell, I would say would be that way to Iowa state, you know, maybe even Kirk Ferrant, like old school guys that are like, Hey, you've bought in, you may not be the best guy, but you gave me an extra year of sweat in the weight room. Like I'm going to give you the right of first refusal. Clawson kind of strikes me a little bit as that type of guy as well, which would kind of make sense where he would just like have an outward display of loyalty for a guy who's, you know, grinded behind the scenes and not, not that he wasn't deserving. I'm not saying that he's Rudy out there and is just getting it because of that. Like I'm saying this dude has tools. And I think that that also probably speaks to your point about why they're just like, no, you're in, you know, it's you. Yeah. 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 I forget who he was competing against. I thought that other dude had more seniority on him, but it doesn't, like at this point it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, and, and, I, and, I, and I could be wrong. It's just, yeah. I, I just think about some guys like that, yeah. like, because we're constantly having to figure out, Ooh, the shiny toy. Is it the shiny toy or is it, is it, is it, uh, you know, whoever the guy that was the, the, um, you know, the stud back for Iowa state last year, or was it Jarrell Brock? And again, Brock isn't a great example because he got hurt and he fell on his face, but I mean, in terms of another guy that I'm looking at this year that I've been enjoying taking at his cost. I mean, I don't see any way that Brock isn't given every opportunity to be a 20 touch guy game for the cost of a guy who's eight touches a game. Yeah. I got, I think I got him two drafts ago. You got him the last one and I was bummed because I was going to take him probably that round. I agree. Like the more you read, it's like he's going into this year. The only question is health just from like a role perspective. The, the other the other thing that I think is is worth talking about with Brock, if we're going back, if we go way back in the cycle, if memory serves, because I was a big David Montgomery fan when he was there, 
Uh, I don't know if it was, no, excuse me. It wasn't Montgomery. This would have been Brees Hall. Yeah, he yeah. and Brees, I believe, were in the same class. Mm -hmm. And Brock was actually the higher rated recruit than Hall. And so, I mean, I just, again, uh, it's, it's an inexact science rec recruiting and stuff. But I mean, you're talking about a guy here who was at least thought at the time I was drafting Brees Hall whenever I wanted in my leagues before he broke out because Brock had a little bit more name cachet. And I just was fortunate that I bought into Hall and I just generally buy into the Iowa State running back room. Um, but I, I just think that that's worthy. Like we're not talking about a guy absent of talent here. We're talking about a guy that ran behind a bad line, which is unfortunately sort of a symptom of um, Ames right now. And then secondly, a guy that got hurt, but who knows where he could have been and where he'll be this year. If, if that improves a little bit. I agree. Who's uh, speaking of that good uh, Wake Forest receiving room. Who's number one. Do you think it's banks or someone else? I, I guess so. I mean, yeah. I really haven't tried to decipher it. Banks goes earlier. Right. Banks goes earlier than what I'm willing to take him. I think that they're, okay. if I'm looking at bank, do I, do I want banks or do I want Antoine Wells or Luke McCaffrey? I'd rather have the guys that have more consistently shown it. So I find myself right around that range with guys like, uh, even though the sample, I guess, was a little bit smaller on McCaffrey. I mean, it wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibilities. They look to get him the ball 20 times in the game as a wide receiver. Right. Um, that, that interests me. Um, and then Wells, um, you know, when we really saw Rattler kind of just like blow the lid off that, that last second, especially I think South Carolina's defense could be pretty bad this year. I think they could play in some really fun games. So if we're looking, if we're, if we're just contextualizing an at cost discussion, do I want banks or do I want either of those guys, maybe even those guys around and a second round later then that's then that's my choice. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't I don't mind the bet and best ball of taking Morin right at the end of a draft or Green. I mean, really, at, again, it goes back to me for an at cost discussion. I, I want the guys that I can be had in rounds twenty or later. But I haven't I haven't targeted Wake at all this year a single time. Uh, I may go after Griffiths uh, at least to have him once in a draft here because I don't I don't have him in any of my leagues. Yeah, I grab I've grabbed Green a, a little bit just because I can't quit him. But even though like the production didn't quite get there last year, probably for a couple of different reasons. Like he was pretty far removed from ripping his knee his knee to shreds, but still like going up like competing for targets with At Perry. Yeah, that stuff. So maybe Green pays off th this year. Um, I was surprised how little he had in the way of actual blow up games. Like. When I looked at went back and looked at his game log, I think he only hit like twenty fantasy points like one time. Yeah, and so much of his production was touchdown based. So, I I believe in him from a talent perspective, but he needs to like he needs to get more targets than just like oh we're in the red zone here go catch his jump ball. Yeah, I think that's the attractive element of a quarterback if we're trying to discern who's his wide receiver one and he has three guys who i'd legit like throwing the football to i think that 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 makes the case if you back that out to say like oh there's there's probably some value on this quarterback yeah 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 and in reverse to that so riley leonard goes pretty high in our drafts with good reason but interestingly like it's pretty high but i feel like even like it's a, it is such a dangerous game to try and utilize like 
previous year standing from a production perspective and try, let that influence what you're going to do this year from a draft to, with respect to your draft. But like he was up there and like from a fantasy points perspective in terms of what he did in 2022 and he goes pretty high in 2023, but like still, you, I think you can make an argument. He maybe he should go even higher. And then you look at his receivers and they like, you can name your price basically. Yeah. Um, and we saw like a full blown committee at running back as well at Duke. Do you think it's just Riley Leonard and then committees across the board at the skill skill possession? Because that like they I I like from a talent perspective like Cal, Calhoun is cool and Jordan Moore is super fun, but yeah. they spread the ball around a lot. So I don't I don't know exactly what to make uh, of receiver in particular in terms of like what what are we actually going to see in terms of production in twenty twenty three. I have a quick question about that. Did they move more? Was he the one that was the running back and they moved him to receiver? Is that so right? It's tough. And it's made even tougher because it's not just like more and more. It's Jay Moore and Jay Moore. So Jordan Moore, or no, Jacquez Moore is the one that's the running back, okay. I believe. And Jordan Moore is the one that Riley beat out at quarterback. And that initially it was just like, oh, here's some snaps. Please don't transfer. And then I think they were like, oh, shit, you're actually good at like let's just get the ball in your hands on forward passes and like maybe some behind the line of scrimmage stuff. And then by the end of the season, it's like 20 targets, 18 targets, bowl game didn't really play out that way. But like that dude, I, yeah, is, I, I assume they know what they have at this point in terms of just like dynamic weapon and not the kind of dynamic weapon where we're talking about manufactured three to five touches, but like that dude should see 10 plus yeah. targets a game. Yeah, so I think to answer your question, I think that to me the receivers would be more attractive than the running backs because I just think that they're just game scripts are not gonna they're they're not gonna be able to just run the ball late on a lot of guys. And then I think Leonard is such a good runner that he's gonna take away from that as well. But I think he's one of those guys that he makes sense to take as a standalone where there could be a value to stacking him, but I also feel like even in drafts where I take him and I've taken, I have taken him a couple times. I honestly haven't considered one of his wide receivers just because I don't, I do tend to lean towards it being more committee based. And then I just feel like at the end of drafts, there's other guys that I'm like taking stabs on really late where I'm like, Oh man, this could be a, this guy could be a real steal, you know, whether that's a fallacy or not, we're all talking ourselves into like, I could get 20 out of this guy three times this year, you know? I mean, that's, that's the fun part of doing this, but I legitimately feel that way. So anytime I'm considering uh, a stack with him or any other player, I tend to talk myself out of it. Not that I'm anti-stacking. I do do it some, but I'm not like, Oh, I have to necessarily. But um, I think with him, I just, yeah, there's other receivers late where I'm like, Oh, I want to draft him. I want to get him on somewhere. I feel similarly about stacking. Uh, yeah. Like I and my my logic with stacking in the CFB space that I've done less than zero to prove out statistically is that like stacking I feel like makes so much sense in the NFL game uh, because of how limited points are generally speaking. That whenever you can correlate and try and grab more of that smaller pie, you need to do it. But in, on the, in college, there's so much effing scoring all the time that I feel like we can just find different ways. Uh, like we don't need to gravitate toward correlation to get our hands on points just because mm -hmm. there's going to be so many points. There's so many teams. Um, I think it's just more important to be right about to not be wrong about something and like lock in um, points uh, that 
especially in those later rounds, not saying you need to shoot for like low floors or anything like that, but like, I don't really break ties just based on stacking because I feel like I'd rather like target someone that I actually have like a real lean on. Yeah. I think it's a different game. The NFL game, obviously like there are going to be certain players where like, Oh, you're the 32nd ranked tight end in the NFL. That's going to be like, well, you don't want that guy on your team period. Whereas you're like, wait, you're the 32nd at any position. I'd like you on my 30 round roster (laughs) somewhere, you know, like that would be, that would be great. I mean, the player pool is just so vast and the scoring is just so much different. You know, I mean, probably yeah. an average over under from a betting standpoint is probably two touchdowns higher in a college game versus NFL. That may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but I'd imagine at least, you know, 10 points. I, I don't know. Um, maybe yeah. the NFL's evolved enough that I'm, 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 I'm misrepresenting that, but I just think it's a lot more likely for there to be a 52 49 college game than there is NFL. Definitely. Um, Two teams left. Do you know off the top of your head who they are? Well. No one wants to talk about one of them. There's nothing fun to discuss. Probably Pitt. We, we covered Nardi a little bit. Yeah. We covered, we covered the important part of the program. Um, I, Miami. I, Miami. So, I don't my, the only thing I had there that I thought was warning discussion is like, do we have any optimism re- surrounding kind of Shannon Dawson coming in or is it just pessimism uh, surrounding how Mario Cristobal it influences offenses? The, the, the noteworthy thing about Dawson is he's been tied to Holgerson for so long and he's only had a couple of trips where he isn't tethered to Holgerson and those have gone dreadfully bad. Like when he hasn't been with Holgerson, it's been terrible. And so uh, I think that's, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, that wouldn't upset me to see that. Say less. Um, and yeah. then, all right, let's move on. So Louisville, I'm, I think I've started drafting a lot of Jamari Thrash. I'm in, I'm here, like I hear nothing, but he's the dude from like, everything that I read, not just one source, but like a, I don't know, it's just everywhere uh, from a media perspective. So that I think is enough for me to be uh, sold on him being Brahms number one receiver. He's going in like that fifth, sixth round where, I mean, he's probably at the top of my board amongst those guys, but there's lots of guys that I like in that range. And generally that's receiver territory. So he's a dude for me there. Um, But do you think that, Amongst QB1, RB1, WR1 in that uh, at Louisville, does is Thrash the surest thing amongst himself at at receiver, Plummer at QB, and Jordan at running back, or is one of the other ones uh, a safer buy? I think Jordan is the least sure, just because I think they still have some talented backs there, and I mean we like Brom backs, but I mean they're not league winning backs. I mean right. They're, they're, they're solid producers, but I mean, if we're talking about, you know, the guys who, I mean, the receiver is where we know we hang our hat there in that, in that offense. And, you know, there is correlation to run to quarterback, but the downside is most of these guys can't run at all. So you're kind of dealing with the, you know, some, some of that stuff. I mean, plumber probably has the most safe job, but because I think two things, I think that their offensive line could be there. Uh, limiting factor on offense. I'm not sold at all that their line is going to be very good. And with a guy that's not moving around a lot, 
I think that could disrupt some things. Um, I do think Thrash uh, makes the most sense um, to, to be the guy there. I mean, we keep getting into these at-cost at discussions, but I, I draft Amari Huggins-Bruce um, quite a bit. And um, I believe he's their leading returning receiver from last year. But uh, in, in fairness, um, I just got my digital copy of Phil Steele's magazine. He's not listed on a starter uh, under on Phil Steele's magazine. And so I started kind of digging into that a little bit more. And what I found was that um, Brom has said on several occasions, Amari has to learn the playbook to find out what we're doing here. <laughs> and so I think that, that that tends to be what's holding him up is um, that he's, he's having a hard time understanding precisely what they're asking him to do. But if I zoom out and I look at, okay, we're looking at, um, you know, archetypes of uh, Brom receivers, like, who is there a Rondale Moore on that roster and who is he? And I, I can answer that question more emphatically than I could your first question between quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Well, it's Amari Huggins Bruce if he figures it out. Um, you know, I, I I I think that it's there's a there's a concern with it, but I think he's a guy that you, you know, we all remember when he dropped the ball before he was going into the end zone on that long touchdown last last year. And I mean he's he's a guy with That's um, that that is my favorite thing to do. Like I I, I love that fucking move. The like yeah. drop as soon as you cross yeah. the goal line. It seems like it's going a little out of fashion, but I would like to see it brought back because <laughs> I yeah. like I, I respect the shit out of it when you pull it off. Whether you pull it off where you actually score or not, yeah. I don't know. I love it. But he, you know, he he's a guy for me. If we're talking at cost, even with some of the trepidation. I just think he is different. I think Thrash will lead the team. I, I feel pretty confident about that. But, you know, we're, we're talking about what's Thrash? Fifth round right now? Yeah. Versus 27th round? I mean, mm -hmm. he's a consistent bet that I've made. Um, I, again, I haven't had all of the information because I just started preparing. Like I said, I'm just I'm just going. And I actually feel good. You know, I've, I've, I, 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 I feel good about most of my teams I, I've taken. But that's because they appeal to me, but I, I, I think that um, I think that he's a guy that he could be a difference maker um, for them if if he figures it out. But I think Thrash is the most solid bet right now. All right, dude. We we at least touched on every team in the ACC. No, um, no, 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 no. We didn't. Not 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 in earnest. We said their name. We said their name, but. We did not touch on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets near oh, to the fuck. degree. Do I, I, yeah, I totally forgot to think. I think I forgot another team as well. Then um, I don't know who it is. Like I've only got twelve on my list now that I'm looking at it. Well, um, so this is an interesting uh, wrinkle. And I would have, I, I would have, I would have zoomed past it with you had I, I not have some. I had, I have some strong thoughts, and they haven't necessarily been thoughts that have been expressed that you would know through um, us drafting together. But I, I want to say two things about Georgia Tech. I want to say that I think that they, first of all, I'm, I'm okay. Well, let's do a 10 year window. We can't remember 10 years. Let's just do five years, but I mean longer than five because five, I feel like is more digestible in the last five years. I can never remember any skill position group being upgraded more significantly from one year to the next than what Georgia Tech will experience from 
last year to this year in terms of their wide receivers. I think that they are the most improved wide receiver group year over year that we will have seen in years. I would also say to add to that, I think that not only that, I think they have one of the most fun wide receiver rooms in the entirety of college football this year. I think in terms of fun wide receivers. And so let me lay out the three that I foresee it being Malik Rutherford, who we knew very little about, but absolutely went bananas uh, during their spring game, had multiple 50 yarders and 80 yarder, you know, I think he's five, seven, one fifty. Um, just a guy that they can't, nobody can catch. Then they have Christian Leary who transferred from Alabama who Alabama actually, because they draft, they, they, they brought in like four or five studs at receiver two years ago. They actually moved him because they were thin at wide receiver. They moved him to running back. So they kind of had him play a little bit of a satellite back role. So you've got him at receiver as well. And then if he were here right now and he weren't a coward, Chris would, would weigh in and say that Dom Blaylock from Chris and I's high school alma mater coming in from Georgia, if he can stay healthy, I mean, you're talking about three guys that are like bona fide manufactured touches and screw it, throw it deep, my receivers down there type guys. So I I feel quite excited about the potential, um, especially with Haynes King. If, if he's who wins the job, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, people were using their first round Debbie draft picks on a couple of years ago. This is a guy that based on his, you know, athleticism and his high school pedigree and everything like that, that he was, he was perceived as a can't miss NFL prospect. Did they, did they, did they forget, forget <laughs> to look at how he throws a football? Uh, you know, but all of that to say, let's, okay. So just journey with me. Let's say that Jimbo was the problem. Okay. Can we stipulate that Jimbo is a big reason for Texas A&M's shortcomings on offense in recent years? Can you, can you go there with me? I, I, Jimbo has a soft spot in my heart for really no, not many very good reasons, but I, I don't know. I feel like I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt just because I see um, a lot of piling on, on yeah. poor Jimbo, um, I, but I can go there. Okay. If you'll, if you'll give me that, I think, I think, um, you know, the two or three people who are still tuned in with us would agree that, that Jimbo has been an issue for them. So, I mean, again, if he figures it out, he's got some wheels. They've got Travion Cooley from Louisville. He's transferred in to be their running back. I saw that. Brent Key was, you know, Saban's offensive line coach back in the day. He can coach the offensive line. There's a lot to like about the Georgia Tech offense. I'm not necessarily making a case for they're going to be great. I, I just – I think that this is going to be a, a potentially really fun offense to watch. That's That's what I would say that I think I, I, I feel strongly about their improvement at wide receiver. And I just think that if we're using the fun metric, which I know you like to use, we're both purveyors of the fun metric. I think that there's potential for a very fun offense in particular, a very fun wide receiver group. I love it. Channel, channel, back, anytime you can back homerism with meaningful information, <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. Um, I, I, let, let, let's let's also get one thing straight. There's there's no homerism. I may live a couple miles from the stadium. I have no allegiance to them. This is uh, yeah yeah yeah. But I, in fairness, I have gone to see some November Thursday night games where the wind chills like 20 degrees. I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm the only person in the stadium. 
so yeah. All right. So my calendar being what it is, we're going to have to apologize to our, if we have any Syracuse fans for not uh, giving them the appropriate amount of time that their annihilus offense uh, deserves or doesn't deserve. But before, before last you, question. Oh, please, yeah, please. Well, you're, you're, uh, cause I'm going to take us fully off the rails. So you, you please, you, you, uh, you had a serious face. <laughs> no, I was about to do some host shit, but it doesn't matter. Like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm actually, I'll play the role of host. This is both a, a message to Chris and I think is the fitting outro for this podcast. So I'm going to attempt something. I'm not a technical guy. I'm going to play something from a website that I hope goes through my speaker channels. Cause that's where it's coming out of. And I hope that this is the actual outro. We'll need someone to be a wizard uh, on the back and we're going to see if this works. But I'm going to play you a little clip of something that's again, a message to Chris and an outro for this show. Is it playing? Can you hear it? No. <laughs> I'm doing it on my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While, while was, you're uh, while you're being a, a tech wizard, thank yeah. you so much for for joining us, dude. Like, I, I you were the only person that I thought of when I was uh, doing the BTR logistics for conference previews. I am a long time weekly reader of what was once Twitter threads and now lives at brandonchicken.com every yeah. week I'm heading over there. Um, I, I've been thinking, I've been starting to think about the next uh, thing I want to write up for the site. If you'll host for me and yeah. I think we can try and get you something in the next month or so. No, yeah, that, that sounds great. No, it was, it was fun to be able to talk. I think that one-on-one uh, -on -one chats can be, uh, can be dangerous, but this was, uh, this was really fun. And so, I'll leave us with the outro and message to the coward, Chris K. And the prophecy read that one day, like the phoenix arose from the ashes, that a boy would be born unto a family in the smoke. This boy would go on to use the knowledge he gained while fighting for survival in the streets to become a great leader. And in time, that boy would grow to become <laughs> we're fading out with the outro there's only one king of atlanta christopher and he was here live today that'll do it thanks for uh everyone who tuned in thank you so much franchise we'll catch you later all right see ya.